You're listening to the Ministry 127 Podcast, a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel and the Lancaster Baptist Church. Today's lesson is on effective classroom management with Dr. Jerry Goddard. Dr. Goddard serves as the Dean of Administrative Affairs at West Coast Baptist College, and he has been involved in Christian college administration for over 30 years. I want to talk about biblical discipline. Our session today is entitled Effective Classroom Management. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn to Job chapter 36. Job 36, we'll start there. Verses 10 and 11, Job 36, 10 and 11. The Bible says, He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they return from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. And I want to talk to you about biblical discipline. Discipline is a biblical principle. And I know if I would ask you, and we have quite a wealth of experience in teaching here, if I were to ask you, why do we have classroom discipline? I think we'd come up with a variety of answers about uh, learning happens better in a disciplined, orderly situation. We're trying to teach children character, a variety of those. But I think the foundational principle as expressed in this verse is that discipline ought to have a purpose. And I would challenge you for a moment today to think about the purpose of godly discipline. And you outline the purpose of godly discipline. First of all, letter A, we'll say to demonstrate the work of the Holy Spirit. To demonstrate the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know your teaching abilities, but if you're like me, you can get by in your own strength. But one of the things I want to challenge you with is let's do better than get by. And I would challenge you to start every day by realizing you need the Spirit of God or you're going to make a mess out of your classroom. You're not going to impact the young people. You're not going to fulfill God's will. You know, and I know you know this, but just a reminder This fall on that first day of class, you'll be there because God led you and God placed you there. But every student who is there will be there because God placed them there. And God has intersected your paths for a purpose. And I challenge you to realize that to fulfill that purpose, you're going to need the Spirit of God. And I strongly recommend with our college classes that I, I recommend classroom teachers get up early. Spend some time in the Word of God. Spend some time alone with God. For some reason, I've done this for years. Uh, I can remember doing this in high school. In the morning, in my mind, I would go through every class. Okay, in fact, I could tell you what my senior level high school class schedule was, but I won't bore you with it. And trust me, if I can remember it, you can remember yours. But anyway, I just go through the day in my mind. And I would challenge you as a teacher to go through the day yielding every situation to the Lord, asking for God's help, asking for the Spirit of God to control what you say, what you do. And many days, it'll be fairly commonplace. It'll be just routine classes. And, oh, yeah, I've taught this several times. I know I I can do this. But some of those days, it'll be a meeting with parents, parents who are concerned about their child 
or parents who aren't concerned about their child and should be. All kinds of situations. And you're going to need the Spirit of God to enable you to be what God intends those children to get. So realize the first purpose is to demonstrate the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can testify with parents. And parents will say, well, boy, that just worked out great. God is good. I yielded my, my life to the Spirit of God on a daily basis. And the Spirit of God worked that out, caused that to all fit together. And your life will be a testimony of the working of the Spirit of God. And by the way, on top of math and science, history and English and whatever else we teach, wouldn't we like our children to learn something about the Spirit of God and what He's doing in our lives? So letter A is to demonstrate the work of the Holy Spirit. Letter B, to bring about a change in behavior. You will have students that need to change their behavior. Now, the common term in, in education has been behavior modification. That's been practiced in secular education for a number of years. What's different about what we do? Lord willing, we're operating on biblical principles. But we want to change their behavior. And by the way, if you teach elementary, let me, on behalf of everybody else, challenge you, teach those kids how to behave because it'll help us a lot. <laughs> and by the way, teach them to have a good attitude about learning. Don't teach them that you're bad, therefore you must do homework. You know that when you teach lower elementary, those kids have a lot of homework in their future. And their attitude will determine their success quite often. But we want to bring about a change in behavior. And we've all had the stories, we've had the situations in our own classrooms where somebody did this, somebody did that, and you had to correct them, challenge them to change their behavior. That's a purpose of godly discipline is to bring about a change in behavior. Letter C, to teach submission to authority. I think this is one of the very important principles. Life is full of authority. The young person who says, I'm leaving this school because I'm tired of people telling me what to do, is ready for a rude awakening because wherever they go, I had a college student once that got upset about uh, a situation in college and packed up his clothes and he was leaving the dormitory, slammed his fist through a wall and smashed a window. Said, I'm getting out of here. I'm sick of you telling me what to do. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. <laughs> Life is full of authority. And the Bible says quite a bit about it. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. No one can be a productive Christian without having submission to authority. You know, don't you want your kids to behave? Don't you want? And by the way, a lot of their parents, and I know some parents struggle with uh, discipline. Some parents expect you as the Christian school to totally take care of all the discipline. And they've kind of backed up away from their responsibilities. But wouldn't it be good if young children could learn respect for authority? Now, most of our Christian schools advertise that. We, we have academic training. We have character training. We teach submission to authority. That's a great lesson for them to learn. And by the way, if young children learn submission to authority, your authority, parental authority, 
pastor's authority, we're setting the stage for them to learn about God's authority. You know that some people struggle with the will of God because they've never been taught submission to authority. And if you have a young person that says to the Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, it's because they've learned about biblical godly authority. And yes, you need to teach English and history and science and math, but you need to teach submission to authority. It's not just because I'm the teacher, you're the student. It's not just because things will go better if you behave. It's because that's a biblical principle to learn submission to authority. A child's willful resistance to the control of the teacher is an indication that he's resisting the power of God over his life. For the benefit of the child, we must teach them submission to authority. There's no way around that. Letter D in our outline, the purpose of godly discipline is to curb unrighteousness. Proverbs 29.2 tells us, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Now, in the kind of the second half of our session today, I'm going to talk to you about some very practical uh, things you can do in a disciplined situation. And I'm going to recommend that you never attempt to publicly humiliate or embarrass a student. I think there are some people that believe... Okay, Johnny, you're being bad. Get up here. I'm going to make an example of you because I want everybody else to learn. That's not good. But no matter what you do, everybody else will learn. You know, it's amazing how students, even though maybe you go out in the hallway, you do it privately, you don't talk about it, you don't embarrass or humiliate the student, other students pick up. And vicariously, they'll decide to be good. And your handling a disciplined situation will help somebody else stay away from unrighteousness. And you'll have people that will decide. And you've all seen this probably if, if you have children at home. We have three children. I won't tell you how old they are. They're adults. But anyway, uh, I can remember them thinking that childhood discipline was a spectator sport. The other... Whoever was in trouble, the other two wanted to watch. They wanted to help. They wanted to go get the paddle. Do I'll, I'll do anything. But, you know, that's a principle. They see it and they perk up. And so one of the purposes of godly discipline is to curb unrighteousness, to encourage others to do what is right. Letter E in your outline, one of the purposes of godly discipline is to build character. To build character. Most Christian schools advertise that they would build Christian character. You know that the first schools in our nation were Christian schools? I have the privilege of teaching a sophomore level course in philosophy of Christian education. And when I tried to get people to understand, one of the things is that the foundational educational system of our nation was parent-controlled, church-involved, teach the kids to read the Bible and teach them biblical character traits. And our Christian schools today are not just something that happened in the late 19th century. They're a flashback, so to speak, to the roots of education in our nation. And they ought to be teaching Christian character. I would guess just about every parent you would survey would expect that of a Christian school. 
they, some people, uh, Dr. Getch has a great message about the twin towers of Christian education. And his purpose is that Christian education ought to be Christian and it ought to be education. It's not just, okay, we learn Bible verses and we're going to learn some math, science, history, some biblical principles about them. And I really think the Word of God can be accurately incorporated into every academic subject, but it is academic. And what he says is some parents will put their kids in school for the Christian aspect. Some parents will put their kids in school for the education aspect. Whatever their reason, let them get both. And we ought to be teaching biblical character traits. Obviously, one of those is submission to authority. Now, just on a side note, I don't think that's accomplished by, okay, students, memorize this list of 20 character traits. You memorize the list. There, you've got character. That's not how it works. They need to be expected to be punctual, expected to be responsible, expected to be kind and gracious. And your life will demonstrate a lot of that and then your expectations will help them to build character. I don't think it's accurate to have a, okay, you're going to graduate from high school now, we'll have the final character test, match the character traits. I tell my classes the test of character is life. And I tell my college students, someday as a married couple, when you're in a doctor's office and the doctor says, we believe we would recommend that you abort this child, and you say no, that's the test of character. But those kinds of character traits ought to be taught in Christian school. And one of the purposes of godly discipline is to build character. Letter F in our outline, to encourage self-discipline. One of the purposes is to encourage self-discipline. Now, I, would, I could ask you how many of you are self-disciplined, and I won't. But I could ask, and I would expect just about everybody, how many of you wish you were a little more self-disciplined? And that's just about everybody. And young people need to learn self-discipline. That's the essence of Christian character. Making Bible-based decisions in difficult situations. And handling life's questions from a biblical perspective. And we ought to encourage self-discipline. You know... Some of your students will get into some situations in life where they're going to have to develop some self-discipline. Maybe through a job situation, are they going to do right? Um, I had the privilege of spending three years in the U.S. Army a long time ago. And I was stationed in Maryland for a while and worked evenings at a burger place. It was called Burger Chef. I don't think they exist anymore. I'm sure the one I worked at has been gone for a long time, probably had a fire or whatever. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> It was my responsibility to cash out every, all the cash registers every night and make a bank deposit. And all of a sudden, cash registers started coming up with $20 extra. And I later found out that the manager was doing that to see if I would put the $20 in my pocket. And I'm thankful I didn't. But that's a test of character. And your students are going to encounter tests of character. Maybe some of them tests of self-discipline. Maybe some of them are medical where the doctor says you really need to do this. Now, that's probably an area, exercise and diet, where we could all be better self-disciplined. But some of these students are going to have life-threatening situations where they're going to have to be disciplined. 
And if you can help them learn some self-discipline, you'll make a great contribution to their education. And finally, letter G in our outline, the purpose of godly discipline to enhance learning. Now, I would guess if we had talked about it a little earlier, we would have all said that's probably the first reason. And it is an important reason. And studies indicate that situations which are chaotic do not enhance learning. And if you've got something going on over here on this side of the room, these students are distracted. And you know that many first-year teachers quit after their first year? Now, some of you are saying, yeah, I, I wanted to, but they wouldn't let me. Some of you who are just going to teach for the first time, see me later, I've got a book I'll recommend. But most of them who want to quit after the first year want to quit because of discipline. And I try to tell our students, when you go for a job interview to teach in a Christian school, they're going to ask you, can you control a classroom? And that's a, well, that doesn't have anything to do with teaching. It has a big thing, big part do, to do with teaching. And if you can't control a classroom, and maybe you've known somebody, uh, I had a man that had a master's degree in history and was very knowledgeable. He could not teach. He could not control the classroom, so he could teach and ended up not teaching anymore. Classroom control is very important. And one of the, we've tried to give some godly uh, purposes of godly discipline and to enhance learning is very important because without classroom control, learning will be minimized. You know, that's why these people are going to put their kids in your Christian school. There's a certain consumer mentality to Christian school. They're going to pay tuition expecting you to learn, expecting you to teach and for their children to learn some things. And if your room is chaotic, they're not learning, and parents are going to wonder why they're paying their tuition. So classroom control to enhance learning is very important. Let's move on a little bit and make the statement, when rules are made, some provision must be made for those who violate them. When rules are made, some provision must be made for those who violate them. And if you're going somewhere to teach for the first time this fall, obviously you need to become familiar with a school handbook. Just about every Christian school has a school handbook with general disciplinary principles, behavioral standards. Become familiar with that. But then every classroom teacher sets his or her own procedures and policies and how you will handle situations. I'm going to try to give you some very practical ideas in your outline. Letter A, make sure they are realistic. The rules you're going to make. We're talking about when rules are made, some provision must be made for those who violate them. Make sure they are realistic. Be reasonable. Think through your policies, your procedures. Don't expect, and obviously you'll get, need to get to know your age group of students. Don't expect kindergartners in August to act like sixth graders or experienced students. Be realistic. Have realistic expectations and you'll be reasonable. Letter B, refrain from using penalties which are personally or publicly humiliating to a pupil. Refrain from using penalties which are personally or publicly humiliating to a pupil. How many of you like to be humiliated? 
to be humbled. You know, it's interesting. The scripture tells us to humble ourselves. That's a whole lot better than being humbled. And no one here wants to be humbled. And, and we could probably all testify of times when we were humbled. And we don't prefer to talk about it. It's not a happy memory. You know, that applies to your students too. Your students don't want to be humiliated. They don't want to be embarrassed. I don't know if you can remember being in junior high. For some reason, junior high students are high on the don't embarrass me scale. And I can remember being in junior high when everybody wore the same type of clothing. And the worst thing in the world was to be different. And getting embarrassed by a teacher was probably one of the worst things in the world. You're not going to... Now, maybe you're saying, well, by bringing that student up front and making an example of him, I can teach all the others. Maybe you can, but what are you teaching that student? Is that really good and effective to help him learn a lesson? So I would stay away from public humiliation. Letter C, avoid punishing in the heat of anger. Avoid punishing in the heat of anger. How many of you have ever been angry as a teacher? Well, the rest of you are lying. No. <laughs> Students will do things that will frustrate you. Okay, maybe you've been frustrated. But if we're not careful, we're going to discipline out of anger. And this really happens at home, I think. And if you have an opportunity to meet with your parents and give them some counsel or advice about disciplining their children, that may be something that's creating a problem in their home. The essence of a discipline situation, the goal is to help the student realize, wow, I'll never do that again. Not, wow, wasn't he or she mad? You're, you're straying away from your whole purpose. And it can't happen. So you may need to, I can remember with our children, it was go to the bedroom and wait for me. And by the way, that's a pretty effective tool. Most of you can remember those situations when you were a child. And you wish they would have just get it over with. Don't make me wait. Well, waiting may be effective if it's causing you to calm down. If you've got a temper, it's going to get in the way of effective discipline. And I would recommend, and even in a classroom setting, Sit, wait for me out in the hall, or after class I'm going to talk to you, or do something to let things calm down, specifically your emotions, and never punish in the heat of anger. Letter D, be sure the student understands the purpose and the justice of the punishment. Be sure the student understands the purpose and the justice of the punishment. That's what we're mentioning about, uh, wow, I'll never do that again. I can remember talking to my children, my son, I have a son that's almost 30 years old. He's just about ready to join the Navy as a chaplain. And I can remember telling him, I love you, but I don't like what you did. And what you did was a problem. And so we're going to have a talk. We're going to have some time together. Where, Lord willing, you're going to learn not to do that again because that behavior is what the issue is. And I think we need to be careful about communicating love to students. By the way, your classroom students, 
I would challenge you to start day one telling your students that you're thankful the Lord led you in, to be the teacher, led them into your class. And I would challenge you even now, if you can, get a list of who's going to be in your class and start praying for them. And tell them on day one, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for me. I've been praying that this will be the greatest third grade we've ever had. But communicate love. And within that, make sure they understand the purpose. It's not to humiliate them. It's not because you dislike them. It's to help them learn to behave. Letter E, solve your own problems before you send them to the office. Then only as a last resort. Several of you are administrators. And some of your teachers don't realize you have things to do other than discipline children. But I'll guarantee you, every effective school administrator wants a teacher that will take care of his or her problems. Obviously, calmly, within the framework of school procedures and policies. But every teacher should be able to take care of just about every situation. And work to be able to do that. And I really think it's a matter of having uh, classroom expectations, call them rules or whatever. This is how we stand up. This is how we raise our hand. This is how we line up for lunch. This is how we go get our lunch boxes, whatever, all those policies and procedures. If you'll have them and enforce them, you'll have an orderly situation. And then if somebody violates it, you can take care of it. But try to take care of all your own problems. Letter F, when it is necessary to reprimand a pupil severely, it's usually best to do it in private. This is related to what we said about public humiliation. Uh, if it's severe, it's serious, see me after class, take them out into the hallway, do it privately. Letter G, spot real trouble, concentrate on the ringleader. Now, isn't that the challenge? How many of you ever got in trouble in school for something you didn't do? It's good we're not bitter about it. It's not effective to punish everybody. You've got to be, you've got to learn to teach and observe. We all tell the stories about some college professor that had his head down reading the notes and the students would get up and leave and he didn't even know it. That's not effective. You need to know what's going on in your classroom. When you're writing on the board and something happens, by the way, you get to know your students without even turning around, you've probably got a pretty good idea. And if it came from over there, over here, focus on finding the ringleader. That's just the most effective method. Letter H, reject undesirable behavior, but never the entire group. And this is what we're just mentioning. Don't punish the whole group because of the behavior of a few. Don't punish the whole group because of the behavior of a few. And that's a challenge to try to find out who those few are, who the ringleaders are, who the troublemakers were. And obviously there are some ways you can do that. But ask the Lord to help you know who needs your attention. And you know, it's really a question of motives. I'm angry, so I want to get even with this child is not a good approach. I want this child to learn to obey so he'll be a better child is a worthy motive. So good motives will help you stay on track with that. 
but be careful about that. Letter I, action is more effective than words. Don't nag. You know, and I'm trying to be careful how I say this, the stereotype is that women nag. But let me just be clear, men nag also. And teachers nag. How many times have I told you? How many times do you need? It frustrates me to see them in the grocery store when they say to their child, I'm going to count to 10. How about I'm going to count to one? <laughs> you know that if you've trained your children to wait till 10, they can respond at one. It's just a matter of how you've taught them. But nagging is not effective. I've told you, I've told you, I've told you. The student knows, yes, and I know that doesn't mean anything. So be careful, don't nag. Action is more effective than words. Letter J, remember enthusiasm is catching. Now I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm guessing somebody here has taught something that you didn't really want to teach. The typical Christian school, especially on the elementary level, uh, and I admire elementary teachers, you teach it all in most situations in a contained classroom, all the subjects. Is there one that's your least favorite? Probably. I would challenge you to get enthusiastic about that one. And I try to tell our college students who are education majors and going out to teach that many of them will teach something. They've taken a label, I've got a major in English and history or math and science. Chances are they'll teach something other than that. And I try to tell them, you know that in teaching high school or even elementary school, sometimes, college too, sometimes we teach things that we learned in high school. Sometimes we teach things we learned in college. Sometimes we teach things we learned last night. <laughs> now, try not to live on that schedule. But decide you're going to get excited about it and do a good job. Be enthusiastic about your classes. Uh, I, love, I have a degree in English. And I tried to hide that for several years, but Brother Lester found out. So now I have the privilege of teaching freshman grammar and composition. I teach uh, sophomore level classes, junior level, senior. I teach master's classes. I've taught doctoral classes before. I work with a master's thesis, very academic I love freshman grammar and composition. <laughs> Don't quote me, but I think that's my favorite. Just because it's so needed. I had the highest compliment paid to me not too long ago. Somebody said, how long have you been addicted to grammar? <laughs> said, well, thank you. Get excited about your class. Get enthusiastic. Well, I'm just not excited. Then ask the Lord to help you. And that may be in August as you're preparing for the year. It may be every morning. And if you perceive as an elementary teacher that maybe science is your least favorite, I would challenge you this year to ask the Lord to help you, to make it your favorite, and you'll be a better teacher. Be enthusiastic. Be careful about speech patterns, just under this whole idea of enthusiasm. Students will mimic you. I also have a point here about enthusiasm. Don't be sarcastic. Sarcasm is a form of humor that makes fun of others. 
Now, I have to be careful of this because I'm real good at it. I have a good friend. In fact, he just passed away about a week ago. And an older gentleman, he was my neighbor, and he and I were close friends. And in a faculty meeting, I made a joke about his age. He laughed. I laughed. But this lady over here was offended. And you might think, well, we joke all the time. But not everyone knows that. And your sarcasm is going to offend somebody. And she was offended for him. He wasn't offended. He thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Sarcasm is not good. Especially with young people. Because they don't understand what you're really saying. So all that under the idea of being enthusiastic. Letter K. Keep your hands off children. Now, I would assume your school has policies about this. Uh, our bus ministry has a policy that our workers don't touch children. And I have college students who work in the bus ministry. And what do I do? They just run up and want a hug. I said, well, you better talk to the bus director and figure out something to do. And by the way, those are the kids who are not getting a hug at home. And they really need it. And your heart's going to go out to them. But if you start hugging kids and putting your hands on kids, you're going to be in jail. That's the society in which we live. And it's sad because so many of these kids, especially bus kids, Sunday school kids, you know, would you let some stranger come in a, an old yellow bus and take your kids somewhere? I sure wouldn't. Those kids are insecure already and not getting a whole lot of love from their parents because their parents are really saying, go ahead and ride the bus. I really don't care. And they need love. But I just challenge you, in today's society, you start putting your hands on children, you're going to be in big trouble, especially men. All right, letter L. The teacher who is iron-fisted or thoroughly permissive is a question mark at best. The teacher who is iron-fisted or thoroughly permissive is a question mark at best. We've got to have some balance. Thoroughly permissive, I don't care. You can do what you want. I think that the essence of that message is I don't care. And I hope that's not what you want to communicate. And the iron-fisted approach, almost a Gestapo approach, will not work either. We've got to ask the Lord to help us have balance. And balance will affect the children and help them. Letter M, make smooth transitions. Studies indicate that most discipline problems happen at a time of transition. You're an elementary teacher, you're teaching math, and you look at the clock, math is over, it's time for science. That needs to be, put your math books away, take out your science books, turn to page 33, start answering the questions. Do something. If it's, oh, let's see, uh, what, let's see what do we do? Science, oh yeah, science. I've got my book here somewhere. Your students will find something to do. And most discipline problems happen at time of transitions. And I would challenge you on the secondary level, we had an educational consultant come and speak to our faculty not too long ago, and she talked about teaching from bell to bell and from wall to wall. Wall to wall is get away from the podium, move around, unless you have a microphone on. But from bell to bell. 
discipline problems occur when, okay, we've got about five minutes left, do whatever you want to do, and then you're asking for trouble. And I think effective teachers use all their time. You know, I, I trust we will teach with a spirit of enthusiasm, a spirit of this is important. I've got something important to give you, and I've got a lot of it, so hang on, let's get it done, and let's use our time wisely. And good teachers use their time wisely. But make smooth transitions from the bell rings, okay, then they leave and go to the next class on the high school level, or elementary, you move smoothly into it without the problems. Letter N, avoid getting off the track of the lesson. Avoid getting off track. That's when other problems occur. And by the way, and college students are good at this, they want to get you off track. They want you to chase a rabbit trail. And I remember taking a summer school class in U.S. history, and the instructor was a bombardier pilot in World War II. And I learned a lot about the U.S. Air Force and not a whole lot about U.S. history. That was interesting. And by the way, as a college student, I didn't complain. This was kind of fun. But you get off on rabbit trails, you will not accomplish your purpose. You know, I haven't said anything about educational objectives, but I trust you will teach with objectives. You'll have a plan, a goal, a target in every academic area you'll strive to reach your educational objectives. And by the way, effective educational objectives are written within the context of what the students will do to demonstrate that they've learned. And if you'll have effective objectives, it'll spur on your teaching and you'll want to get it accomplished. You'll be striving to get it done. I would challenge each of you to desire to be a better teacher and obviously a lot of these ideas will help. Letter O, keep students alert and accountable. Teach them to listen. I've had the privilege of observing some teachers from time to time, and I've seen some very effective elementary teachers, maybe a lower elementary kindergarten, let's learn the phonics, sounds, okay. Boys stand, say the vowels. Girls stand, people in this row, people in that row very effectively keeping them accountable. They've got to stay plugged in because they might get called on at any moment. Uh, I remember when I took Latin in high school, don't ask me why I took it. Now I, I think it was a very good thing. I think every English major should take Latin. But uh, we'd have homework and we'd have to translate these long passages and then the next day pre-prepared, the teacher would call on you. And several of us learned Translate the first two sentences, quickly volunteer, she'll call on you, do your one sentence, you're done. She should have called on us at random to keep us accountable. There are a variety of things you can do that. Uh, some teachers hesitate to ask questions, what will I do if they get it wrong? Well, then have another student help them, make sure the right answer is verbalized. Uh, require students to take notes or fill in an outline. Keep them accountable. If they know, this will probably be on the test. You know, I say that from time to time in my classes. This will be on the test. And it frustrates me when students don't learn those things. But you need to let them know you're going to need to know this. Uh, third graders, next year in fourth grade, you'll need to know this. Help them to realize the practicality of it. 
and teach with that in mind. I would challenge you to spend some time this summer getting alone with the Lord and first of all, thanking Him for the privilege of teaching and ask Him to help you to be a better teacher. And if your motives are pure because you love children and you want them to learn biblical principles, ask God to help you to practice effective classroom management. You'll be a better teacher and that your children will learn a lot more. And that's really what it's all about. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on effective classroom management with Dr. Jerry Goddard.